One of the benefits of the movie version of The Boys in the Boat finally being released is that the renewed interest that it brings for the story as told in the book. Andrea uh, started listening to the book on tape in her car, and so I get to hear, um, whenever we drive anywhere together, I get to hear uh, Edward Herman reading that story. And I'd forgotten how much there is to the story, how many subplots and, and characters, interesting characters there are in that book. And for this morning, one scene that I reheard, uh, was re I was reminded of, is a great lead-in to the theme of this sermon. The scene from the book has to do with a coxswain from one of the varsity boats and a particularly vocal member of one of the, or of the freshman crew. Against normal protocol uh, for rowers, one of the freshmen apparently had this tendency to let out occasional shouts of enthusiasm in the midst of rowing as a team. A senior coxswain in the varsity boat realized that he could use that to his advantage. When the two boats were near each other in a training race, the senior, senior coxswain would taunt this freshman after he would yell something. And it would embarrass the freshman, and then he would get riled up and he'd want to get his crew going even faster, and so he'd yell more and he'd start rowing faster. But the problem was that would lead him to interfere with his own coxswain and how his own coxswain was trying to lead the boat. So inevitably, the freshman boat would actually slow down and the varsity would pull away. The whole reason it is against protocol for a rower to yell or even to speak while the team is rowing is because focus on the coxswain alone is essential. Whether a crew is ahead or behind, everyone has to stay focused on the coxswain's commands. In a similar way, our story for this morning calls us to stay focused on Jesus in our lives, both as individuals and as a congregation. This story reveals Jesus as both our Lord and our Savior. So whether we feel like we're on top of everything and rowing smoothly or drowning, focusing our attention on Jesus Christ is essential. Even as we look closer at our text, the most important person for us to focus on is Jesus. Now, the temptation is to pay most of our attention to Peter in his typical fashion of acting before thinking or thinking through what he does. Peter jumps in with both feet, and this time literally jumps in with both feet. The disciples have been out on the lake through the night in a storm battling to get to the other side of the lake. In the faint light of dawn, they see um, what looks like a human being walking 
on the water towards them. Now, knowing that would be impossible because human beings can't do that, they, uh, we hear what their reaction was. Verse 26. It's a ghost, they said. Oh, well, first of all, it says they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. Uh, in the Greek, Matthew wrote that they thought it was a phantasma, a phantom. They thought it was a phantom. And I also think it's telling that Matthew wrote that the disciples, disciples said it's a phantom. And Matthew includes, they cried out in fear. Uh, like I probably would do, I think that they actually shrieked in terror. Jesus lets them know it's him, uh, that he is real, and he adds one of his familiar command, or comments whenever he sort of pops up unexpectedly. Don't be afraid. I like what R.T. France has to say about this frequent encouragement from Jesus. I had not heard it put this way, but I think it's important. France writes, it does not indicate, when Jesus says that, it does not indicate that the crisis is not real, but that in the presence of Jesus, fear can be dismissed. I'm going to read that again because I think it's, it's important for us to hear. When Jesus says, do not be afraid, it does not indicate that the crisis is not real, but that in the presence of Jesus, fear can be dismissed. Given the circumstances the disciples, had, uh, the disciples were in, they had very good reason to be afraid. Jesus is simply trying to assure them that with his presence, they have even better reason to let go of that fear. And that is exactly what Peter does. Verse 28, Lord, if it's you, Peter cried, Tell me to come to you on the water. Come, Jesus said. Then Peter got down, got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came towards Jesus. This may be the only time in the Gospels when Peter's unfettered enthusiasm actually works, pays off. He walked on water. That is miraculous. Then things go wrong. And notice the sequence of what happens in verse 30. But when Peter saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink. Stanley Hauervoss isolates the problem. Peter does not begin to sink and then become frightened, but he becomes frightened and so begins to sink. Losing sight of Jesus means that Peter, like all of us, cannot help but become frightened, which means he cannot survive, just as we can't. Peter takes his focus off of Jesus. He looks around him 
instead of focusing on Jesus, and he fears and begins to sink. He takes his focus off Jesus, but only for a moment. What happens next, I think, helps us understand what I believe Matthew is is trying to reveal to us from this story. At the end of that same verse, verse 30, Peter got down, uh, or excuse me, yes, but when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. He turns his focus back to Jesus, this time pleading that he be saved by Jesus. And Jesus saves him. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. And even further, we hear that when they climbed in the boat, Peter and Jesus, when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped Jesus, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. That is what Matthew is trying to show us through this story. That Jesus is the Son of God. The one who can save us. The one who can, uh, who can calm the storms, even. One who is worthy of worship. The most important clue for this revelation comes at the exact midpoint in this story. Verse 26, we read that uh, when the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified, it's a ghost, they cried out in fear. Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. That identification that the NIV translates as, it is I, is literally, I am. Jesus says, take courage, I am. That is the great self-identification that God gives to Moses in Exodus 3. I am the I am, Yahweh in the Hebrew. Jesus is identifying himself here as God, in person, in their presence. Notice the connection between our story and that Hebrew First Testament reading of ours. This is what the Lord says, fear not, don't be afraid, exactly like Jesus, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name, Peter. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze, for I am the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. In our morning story, Jesus reveals himself as both our Lord and Savior. As Lord, Jesus has control even over the elemental forces of our world. He can walk on water. He can calm the wind and the waves of a storm. These abilities, and the way that this is is written up on the sea, would have far more 
significance for Matthew's original audience than we would generally realize. But Anna Case Winters helps us see this. She writes, the sea was understood to be wild and untamable. It was a symbol of chaos, darkness, and evil that threatened. The few references to the sea in the Hebrew scriptures were accounts where God's power over it were displayed, such as the creation story or the Exodus story. Here again, she writes, it is a story of overcoming the sea. And specifically, it is a story of Jesus overcoming the chaos of the sea. Jesus is Lord over all creation. He is the I am. And he is also our savior. He reaches out and he pulls Peter up from drowning. The other disciples have been battling the chaos of the sea all night. Jesus climbs in the boat and immediately it's calm and peaceful. Jesus is the savior of all creation. Jesus is the great I am. The key for us, then, throughout our lives is to stay focused on our Lord and Savior. The author of Hebrews put it this way. We're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, so let us throw off everything that hinders our fear, whatever it is, and the sin that so easily entangles. Let us run with perseverance or row with perseverance, the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him. Focus on him and stay focused on him who endured such opposition so that you will not grow weary and lose heart and sink. Stay focused on Christ. Unfortunately, the humbling truth that we have to face is that we will grow weary and we will lose heart at some point in our lives. And for some of us, fairly frequently, we will do this. We are Peter in the story. He starts off great, even miraculously. He is locked in on Jesus. As several of the commentators point out, Peter even acknowledges that he can only walk on the water, he can only do this great thing if Jesus commands him to. If Jesus tells him, come to me. And Jesus says, come on. And Peter does it. He walks on water. It's wonderful. But then he takes his eyes off Jesus. He takes his focus away from that, starts looking around, starts to sink. As the NIV translates it, Jesus says, why did you doubt? It's more literally, why did you hesitate? out of fear and uncertainty. As well as anyone, Dale Bruner sees that we are Peter. He writes, does this story 
teach disciples that they can believe and do great things, like Peter at the beginning? Or does it teach disciples that they cannot sustain faith by themselves and that sooner or later they too disbelieve and sink, thus needing the miraculous Savior? The answer seems to be that the story teaches both. We can and we cannot. The can comes exclusively from the powerful command of Jesus, come on, which Peter sought in bold prayer. The cannot comes from our inevitable looking around at life's, and he puts this in quote, looking around at life's realities. And so sinking. We do both continually, he writes. Great news for us is that no matter what we do, Jesus is always and forever both our Lord and our Savior. Our focus for this story and our focus for our lives is that Jesus is the anointed one. It is his power that rules over even the elemental forces of nature. And it is his love that saves all of creation. Jesus is the great I am. So, Dale Bruner questions. What then is the lesson? And he answers. To the believing one... Jesus gives a share in his power. To the doubting and the sinking one, Jesus stretches out his helping hand. Notice, either way, Jesus is still Lord and Savior. Whether we feel like we are gliding over the water or drowning, stay focused on Jesus. And even more so, Take heart knowing that Jesus is the great I am, both our Lord and our Savior, no matter what we do. Thanks be to God.